Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. Well, it was the summer of 1970. I was 17 years old. Some of you were, you have no idea what a 1970 was. I'd been plowing all day. I'd finished the field. And I'd driven the tractor back to the house and parked it under the big mulberry tree where we had the diesel tanks that filled our equipment. We lived right in the middle of a field. And uh, I was standing there getting off the tractor and I looked back toward the highway. The highway was a half mile. We had a half mile dirt road from the house connecting to a farm to market highway. At our mailbox, I saw a white car turn down our road. Now, you have to understand something. If a car turned down our road, they were either lost or they were coming to see us. We live in a country. I didn't recognize the car, and the white car kept coming. And when it got close, I realized that it was my father driving it. He pulled the car up to where I was standing beside the tractor. He got out of it. And he said, how do you like it? It was a white 1965 Impala Supersport. And it was mine. It was my dad's gift to me. And I drove that car until just a few months before Connie and I got married. Now, I was so caught up with the car that I never saw the look on my father's face. My father wasn't looking at the car, he was looking at me. But you can imagine, I wasn't looking at my father. I was looking at the car. I wanted to know what size engine it had. I wanted to see what interior. I wanted to see, you know, I was checking out my car. But it was a gift of my father. He filled it up with gas. I'm serious. Paid the insurance on it. All the time of my going through the rest of my junior year, my senior year, uh, even up at the time until I got married, he was. Uh, it was just a total provision of my father. It wasn't until years later that I realized what had taken place. It was when my daughter Stacy was sixteen. She just got her driver's license. And my father drove to Lampasas, which was a six-hour drive, with a trailer behind his truck. And on that trailer, he had a blue Buick Century. And it was for Stacy. This time, I saw it. The look on my father's face of sheer pleasure. I saw it again when a few, a couple of years later, he drove into Oklahoma looking for Stacy a better car. Now, the good thing about this is my dad's paying for these cars. I could be happy. And I remember the look on my daughter's face and the smile on my father's face was amazing. And for the first time, I saw the pleasure of my father in blessing his children and grandchildren. And I guess my face was probably beaming a little too. 
I didn't have to pay for it. When Shelly got her license, guess what? My father took her looking for a car. And when my father goes looking for a car, he finds a car. Here's what I want you to hear. It was my father's pleasure to give me, my girls, his love. See, it wasn't about a car. It was about a father's heart. Well, I can hear somebody say, well, I'm glad you had a good father, but that wasn't my experience. And all I can say is I'm sorry, but I I didn't share that to compare. I realize we all had different childhoods and lives, some far worse. But what I want, the reason I'm sharing that story is I want to lay the groundwork for you to understand that our Heavenly Father knows no orphans. He's a father to us all. And no matter what your upbringing was, no matter what your relationship and how traumatic or blessed your relationship was with your earthly father, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about today is you have a father that has committed himself for you to live in the fullness and the joy of his kingdom. You have a father. You say, well... Is he really our father? Well, you remember when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray? We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's the model prayer. How does it begin? Whose father? Our father. So as far as Jesus, he didn't just start the prayer with father. He started it with our father. Who art in heaven? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's our Father. And I want you to know that there is not an orphan in this world as far as God's concerned because you have a Father. And He wants to give you life. And, and, and I tell you, we use that word life so casually. And I, I want to say that we really don't under. In our world today, we don't understand that word life because when we think of life in our Western mentality, we think of our experience, all that's happened to us. You see, life for most of us revolves around us. We're the center of that thing called life. The things that have hurt us, the things that have used us, the disappointments, the failures, the shattered dreams... And oh yes, there's good things in life, but let me ask you a question. Which do you remember more, the good things or the things that disappointed you? You see, we had good things, but they're never good enough. For most people today, life never seems to work out because it never lives up to our fantasy that we label life. The life I'm going to talk about this morning is not a fantasy. It's about significance. It's about belonging. It's about counting. It's about knowing and being. It's about provision and promise and hope. That's the life the Father has for you. It's a kingdom life. I want you to look at Luke chapter 12, verse 29. Luke chapter 12, verse 29. We begin reading... Uh, I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. Jesus is 
talking to the people, and he's telling them, don't worry. Verse 29, it says, don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and He will give you everything you need. Jesus is telling them, don't worry about all the things you're worrying about. Your Father already knows your needs. Seek Him, and He'll give you everything you need. And you know what we do with this? Immediately, right here, we turn seeking Him into a work. Or an endeavor. Well, I gotta seek him. I gotta seek him. I gotta seek him. Listen to me. The seek him is an invitation. It's not an endeavor. It's not a work. Seek him first is just an invitation to walk with God in the, in the reality of who he is and in the reality of what he has for you. Seek him is not a job. It's an invitation. So, look at the next verse, verse 32. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. The Father, King James says, the Father takes great pleasure in giving you the kingdom. It's the Father's good pleasure. It's a gift. You can't get it any other way than a gift. This life that I'm talking about is a gift. You can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can't muster it up, you can't make it happen. It's a gift. Significance is a gift. Belonging is a gift. I want you to know, in fact, I I want you to experience an encounter with our Father, your Father, this morning. Listen to it again, New King James Version. Do not fear. Little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's an incredible statement. The word for pleasure here is the same root word, the same word used when Jesus was being baptized and a voice came down from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Your heavenly Father finds extreme pleasure in you because He loves you. If you don't settle the Father's love, if you don't get it settled in your heart, you will continually find it difficult to receive this kingdom life that He so desires for you. And it's so hard for us to get a true picture of the Father's love and the Father's kingdom. Jesus knew that. He knew that even though He could tell you, we still don't understand it. And so Jesus, just a couple of pages over in Luke, tells us a parable about lost things. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 31. If it's okay with you for time's sake, I'm not going to read it out to you because it's a very familiar thing. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. The reality may be better, it's the parable of the loving father. So instead of me reading you 20 verses, is it okay if I just paraphrase the story? 
A certain man had two sons. Now, Jesus told about lost sheep, lost coins, and lost sons. But he tells us what I want to major on is the lost sons. A certain man had two sons, and the younger wanted his inheritance. Basically, when you want your father's inheritance, you're asking him to die. Basically, the younger is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. The father, says, divides his livelihood. He divides all of it with the two sons. It says, with them. The younger takes it excitedly. He leaves. And the Bible says he spends it all in riotous living. And then he attaches himself to citizens of the wrong kingdom. that sound familiar? And when it's obvious that this life is not working out the way that he thought, he finally comes to himself and he remembers his father. He remembers his father has many hired servants in his house. So he gets up and he goes home with the intention of becoming a hired hand of his father. You remember the story? On his way home, his father sees him, runs out to meet him, and before his estranged son can finish his rehearsed spiel of repentance, the father calls his servants to restore to him the signs of the kingdom. Get the best robe. Get the ring. Put sandals on his feet because he's not a slave, he's a son. And he commands a feast to kill the fatted calf, a celebration. All the benefits of the Father's kingdom are going to be disposed or dispersed upon a son who's been wayward. They're, they're in the house and they're celebrating. But the older son won't come to the party. I can't help but think every party has a pooper. That's why we invited you. Party pooper. The older son is outside. He's upset. This estranged son, this wayward son, comes back. And the father is treating him like he never left. Now here's the thing that gets me. The father gets up from the party. And goes out to the son who's offended. He goes out to him. The older son pleads his case and reveals his hurt and the bitterness and his thoughts about how unfair life is and how unfair the father has been. And the father makes an incredible statement. All that I have is yours. I've read this story, I've preached this parable, I've done so many times, and you know, but I, I just want to come at it a little different angle this morning. How smart of it was the father, was it of the father to give them the inheritance beforehand? I mean, it says that he divided it between them both. One son wasted it and one was just continually working for it. Didn't it just spoil things for both of them? You see, we tend to read stories and not think about what it would be in our life. You see, most fathers I know don't give everything to their son when they start out. They give it out to when it's 
when they see whether they can handle it or not. This father has such incredible love and confidence in his love and his kingdom that he's willing to give it out to them at the beginning. And I want you to know the father's not withholding anything from you. He's not waiting for you to get better. He's not waiting for you to earn it. He's not waiting for you to discover it. He's not. He's just, I want you to understand what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is the Father's heart and the Father's kingdom. All I have is yours. If we don't understand that, we will continually be living for something instead of living with someone. We'll continually be trying to earn something and get something and develop something and become something instead of knowing who I am, loved by the Father. Content in His presence. We all have expectations that we put on the Father. Neither son knew that the knew the father's heart or the father's kingdom. Both brothers, and I'll just say most of us too, were looking for the same thing. They were looking for the father's stuff. They thought happiness and fullness in life would come from what the father had, his wealth, his inheritance. The younger wanted to make his own decisions, live his own life apart from the father. He didn't really want to be told what to do. He wanted to live it by his own choices. The elder brother wanted the same thing. He wanted the father's stuff, only he was going to get it by staying close and by being good. But reality is, he's just marking time. His morality and his goodness was just a way to make the father give him the things in life that he thought he deserved. Neither son loved the father for himself. They loved and responded to the father for the stuff. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. And let me just tell you something. You can rebel against God and be lost by breaking the rules and by keeping them. Because it's not about rules. It's about relationship. Sin's not just breaking the rules. It's trying to be your own God and live for your own goals. So I want to share with you two things that I want from this illustration. I think it was an illustration of what God was saying. The Father's heart and the Father's kingdom. The Father's heart. Here's the summation of it. All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. The reason the father divided the inheritance is because he loved the sons without measure or without hindrance. His love wasn't dependent on the sons. His love originated from himself. Both sons thought that stuff was more important than the father. The father wanted them to know, all I have is yours. You are more important to the father than the stuff. You are more important to the father than the things you think would make you have a real good life. You are more important than what you have to the father. 
The father's heart is to love you with everything he is. The father loves you not if, not when, not sometimes, not because of anything in you, but because of who he is. That's who he is. And let me tell you, his love is stubborn. It's a love that's unchanging. It doesn't quit. He loves sinners. He redeems failures. He delights in second chances and fresh starts. And never tires of pursuing lost sheep, waiting for wayward children, or rescuing those damaged by life and left on the sidelines of the path. There's no boundary to His love. There's no limit. There's no distance too far that God won't go. For God so loved, He came. He gave. He lives to love you. Well, preacher, you're forgetting about sin. No, I'm not. See, sin didn't change God. It changed us. God didn't change His mind about man after man fell. God just decided that He would make amends for what man's failure was. And He came in the flesh and dwelt among us. And for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish. That's the love of the Father. That's the love of our Father. But they would have eternal, same quality of life that He has. The Father's heart is to love you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, God will overrule everything for your benefit. He won't give us up. He won't lose interest in us. He cannot cease to love us for whatever we may do or say. All things that are necessary for our perseverance, every grace that we can ever need, we shall have all. Whatever my circumstances, wherever I am, whatever the trials, troubles, tribulations, whatever my weaknesses, frailty, whatever my sin, it makes no difference. He who freely gave up his son for me will with him also freely give me all things. He will freely give me everything I shall need in health, in sickness, in pleasure, in pain, in plenty, in penury. Whatever my circumstances may be, He will freely give me all of this, all that is necessary to keep me, to hold me, to guide me, to mold me, until at last I fill my seat at the table, until I see Him as He is and I'm like Him, and spend eternity with Him in everlasting glory. Isn't that good? That's the Father's heart. Well, what about the Father's kingdom? All I, again, here's the answer. All I have is yours. Well, what's the kingdom of God? It's the realm of His reign. Where is that realm? Well, He's God. He's the Father, Father of all. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That covers a lot. The world and all its people belong to Him. He's got a big family. Or He's got a big kingdom. Psalms 145, 13, in case you're worried that there might be some glitch in it. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule throughout all generations. There's not going to be a limit nor an end. But you see, we get caught up with kingdom. And let me just say, the kingdom is nothing without the king. Jesus told us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come. 
Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Everything the Father has is wrapped up in who He is. So when you get the Father, or when you get into relationship with the Father, you get all He has for you, the kingdom. Well, how do you get to know or be in relationship with the Father? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, No one comes to the Father but by me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that by our belief in Him we should not perish but have everlasting life. And Romans 8, 31 through 32 says this, Well, what are we going to say about these wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us since we didn't, since He did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all? Won't He also give us everything else? All I have is yours. Now, we have a hard time wrapping our head around this because we think we're still thinking stuff. All I have is yours. All the love I'm loving you with, I want to give to you that you can love others with. All the love that will not withhold one thing from you, I want you to live in the fullness of that and discover what I have for you. All that I have is yours, the kingdom. You see, you're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. You've been translated out of that kingdom. You're in a new kingdom. You ought to be living a new life because of your Father's great love. I want you to understand something. The one constant in the story of the two lost sons, the one constant was the Father's love and His desire for them to have all He had. You see, I think sometimes we think we can have the Father's love and still live in poverty. When I'm talking about poverty, it's meaning lack. If you have the Father's love, what could you lack? You have it all. All I have is yours. I want you to understand, you don't get the Father's love without the Father's desire to give you all things. But most of us turn that into a working for it instead of a living in it. I have everything God wants me to have to have the life He wants me to have. I can trust Him. That's what I'm saying to you. You can trust Him. Why? Because He loves you and He desires for you to have all that He has. The one constant in the story was the Father's love and the desire to have all He had. It was all about his commitment to love his sons and for them to live by his love. And he hadn't changed his commitment. Jesus didn't just tell a story so we would have a chill bumps. He told the story so we could have a victory. That we could have a life that's full and free, living in the Father's love. There was two sons... There was a party. The father was expressing his love to both sons. He, he, he put a robe and a ring on one son. He went out to the other to invite him in. Which one of the two sons found out he was loved? 
It was the one who received it. Would you listen to me? Receive God's love. Quit measuring it. We've got a tape letter, tape, tape measure of our of the things we think we deserve. We've got a tape. We're measuring out how much does he love me by what he's given me. How much does he love me by what I'm not having to deal with. How much is he loving me. Let me tell you, he's loving you to the nth degree. There's nothing he's withholding from you. Which one? Finally got a glimpse that he was loved. The younger. He was sitting at the father's table, dressed in the best robe, with a ring on his finger, new shoes on his feet, eating ribeye. Did he understand it? Probably not. He just received it. Could he explain it? Not at that time, but let me tell you what. He could spend the rest of his life discovering the fullness of the love of his father. None of that kept him from that place at the table and the pleasure and the peace of the father's love. The good news is, is that the father is still looking, longing and seeking all of us. He wants you to know, hear, and respond to his person, to his presence. He's saying to you this morning, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. It's your father's loving pleasure to give you the kingdom. All I have is yours. Would you receive his love this morning? He, let me tell you, God's better is better. His way is sure. His love is worth sitting at the table with and enjoying the feast of his goodness. He's a good, good father. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I pray for every person here that they would have a, le- a revelation and an encounter with your love this morning. Would you open their eyes and open their hearts to see and to receive, regardless of what they've expected, that your love is complete and your kingdom is theirs. And as they respond to you, Lord, would you overwhelm them with your goodness? Would you bathe them, baptize them, in the grace of your love empower them to live in the fullness of it because Lord all that you have is ours we give you praise you're a good good father in Jesus name amen would you stand together and would you worship with us Tender whisper of love in 
of our Heavenly Father to give us everything that He has. I want to share one word with, with all of you fathers and mothers out there. Uh, anybody that has ever had a child knows uh, what I'm about to share, and that is that as a father or a mother, uh, you see all the mistakes that you've made. All the ways that you failed your children. Uh, we've still got two little girls. They're two young ladies now in our home. And I've failed them many times. And I know I will fail them many more. But my hope isn't in my success as a good father. My hope is in our Heavenly Father. Because the same Father that I can count on for all time is the Father that I trust with my children. Ephesians 1, chapter 4 
verse 4 says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's the one Father of all that as a parent we can all trust with our children. Will you pray with me as we close? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that you are a good Father. Your Son, Jesus Christ, when He came to earth, was encountered by a man who called Him a good teacher. And He said, why do you call me good? There's only one person, one being that's good, and it's our Heavenly Father. You are good. You are the one and only good Father who we trust and we love. Lord, and we put our trust in You to let Your good pleasure give us what we need to accomplish what You've called for each of us. Lord, I pray blessing on every father, on every mother here today, on every child that's here that will be a father or a mother one day, Lord, and that my prayer is that they hope and trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message.